actually, uh, I did my fashion design studying in Perth because I lived in Perth for about two years. And I worked really closely part-time with Megan Salmon over there, who is quite a well-known designer there. And she, she can do all her pattern making and all her sewing yeah. herself. Like she's your, what we call like, you know, a skilled technical fashion yeah. designer because she can do all those yeah. things on, on her own. And then I was helping her make just small adjustments to patterns. And she had, I mean, she had all her basic blocks anyway, and I would do, you know, just small adjustments. And then the biggest thing was actually doing the some of the sample making for her. Yeah. And so I got plenty of practice through that. And I was a bit slower, like the, by by our standards in China. <laughs> <laughs> like when I look back now, I was like... <laughs> come a long way. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was very, yeah, it was definitely very, almost like custom making. Because I really took a lot of care in trying to how to, you know, make sure I'm folding a seam allowance and the yeah. corners properly, you know, and, and make remembering to, you know, curve the, the darts, the bust darts at the end and, you know, little things because you can easily forget what you learn at school. So you do need to constantly, you know, practice your craft. And um, yeah. And so I really got, yeah, a lot of experience. Uh, it was great there. And then at the same time too, uh, on weekends, I would do a bit of work just in her own retail shop. It was, yeah, it was great to actually to keep both the retail uh, work alongside the uh, the practical uh, making side of it. And, yeah. uh, and then at the same time studying at night, you know, aspiring designers are excited, like they just want to, of course, they, they spend all that money at school and they, they spend so many hours. They just want to get right into, you know, having their own label and all that. But then there's the cost factor that you got to consider. So it would be sensible, right, to get a job in your industry and save up. Well, a lot of the more successful designers that have been around for a very long time, a lot of them have had a second job or been working in the industry. One of the more well-known bridal designers in Brisbane here, he was a cleaner. He'd work all day in his shop and then at nights he'd become a cleaner and working in his business with his clients, making bridal gowns during the day. And he started from home and built up his brand, built up his business. And eventually like now he has a retail outlet with probably a waiting list of ladies that want to wear his designs. But it didn't start there and it wasn't a, you know, 12-month thing where you just quit your job and you can work full-time and you're making all of this income. Mm. And in terms of growth strategy, that's not really something that any business runs by unless mm. it goes viral. But even then, to have the right staff and everything in place to maintain that growth and level of capacity is not really viable for a lot of people. Mm. So... It will be a slow burn to get your brand and your business up and running until it makes a decent enough wage for you to be able to quit your full-time job. So, yeah, a lot of people here in Brisbane, there's LSKD. You know, they've been going for 10 years and now they've opened their first retail store. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of brands that have been going for a really long time. Culture King's been going for over 10 years now. You know, they've only just started to hit their strides and have retail stores um, here in Australia and overseas like depending on the scale that you want to go to with your business as well like mm. 
it's better to slowly build because you know retail leases are expensive they're expensive to get into and they're expensive to get out of if it doesn't always work out so you need to be thinking about all of the things that you want for your business and then planning financially how that's going to happen and i said i would actually suggest to actually speak to an accountant and just because a lot of people a lot of people actually don't realize that's actually an important step because so many of us don't actually have you know a lot of the financial skills yeah we know about saving money but how are we gonna what steps could we take to actually get there even if it costs a small like a a fee right to speak to a, a financial consultant just to help you work out the math so you have a clearer direction. But not, a, not only that, they can alert you to the tax write-offs and the tax breaks they offer to small business. So, you know, you might be better to put off making that purchase for three months and put it into the next financial year because tax-wise it's going to be more beneficial than, you know, buying it now because you need it now even though you don't necessarily have the funds or it's not the best tax decision to make it to make yeah. that purchase right now. And there's also changes every year to the taxation laws. Mm. Um, I know for my business, they're changing how you report income with mentoring and coaching within the Australian tax industry. So yeah. I'm at the end of financial year, I'm meeting with my accountant and we're sitting down and going through and talking about um, how that will impact my income and how my company works, just so I can make sure that I'm doing the right thing um, tax-wise and I'm not suddenly going to be hit with this bill at the end of the next financial year with all this tax that I didn't know I had to pay because of changes to the ta- to the laws in how things are categorised according yeah. to your situation. So it's really important to have a really good accountant that you can have that relationship with and have those conversations with that mm. speaks the same language and it's not all just like they can break it down for you to a level that you understand. I feel yes. that's really important. Yes. Like you still got to pay your taxes, but it's about being that little bit more financial savvy and and knowing, you know, yeah. how you places that you could be saving and, you know, it's it's about avoiding paying unnecessarily more than you should be. Yeah. And so it's I think that's a that should definitely be like a priority in terms of planning to launch a clothing label. Yeah. Tell me about Australian fashion startup. So I started my business just over four years ago now and I had an idea to run a workshop to teach people how to start a clothing brand and I sent something to my mum and I said, do you think I could do this? And she's like, yeah, sure, give it a go. So then I spent my Christmas holidays writing all the things that are in my head from the last I don't know how many years and it just kept coming out and then I'd read it I'm like oh I forgot about this so insert this section here and then just kept writing and writing and then all this stuff just come out so then I had to try and make it legible so that someone could actually read it and understand it and I put it all into a document and then I emailed it to my mum and I said can you read this and give me your feedback because my mum doesn't work in the fashion industry um, she doesn't know a lot of the details of what I do and all the rest of it 
Mm. So if my mum can understand it, then surely everybody else can understand it. So it was really good. She gave me feedback and put notes in and corrected all my typos and all the good things that mums do. (laughs) And um, I created a little guidebook and decided to do a workshop. And I was like, I'll try it. And if I get one person, you know, I'm stoked. Yeah. And so my first workshop, I actually had three people, which was amazing. I was blown away that three people were actually interested in what I was doing. And I got every person that ever attended any of my workshops to fill out a feedback form because you don't know what you don't know. And what I think people know, I could be leaving huge gaps that they don't know and they're left with all these questions about X, Y, Z that I just didn't even think of. So I always got feedback forms from everyone that ever attended so that I could always fine tune what I was teaching Mm. and make it more appropriate for everybody. Mm. And I first started out with a one-day workshop that went for a full day and the feedback was that it was too much information in one day. (laughs) So I I broke it down into three separate workshops with three different guidebooks. So one was um, the startup business basics. So all the basics of starting a business, you know, how to write a business plan, Mm. you know, the types of insurances and things that you need, all the basics of starting a business. And then the second workshop was Production 101, which was by far my most popular workshop. Oh, yeah. So that was teaching people all the how manufacturing works, how Mm. offshore works, all the terminology because when you're making clothing, there's a whole other language you need to learn. And using the right word will get you what you want sometimes as opposed to using the wrong word, it delays things and causes a lot of problems. So it's teaching terminology, the process um, and all of that kind of stuff. And then the third one was how to launch. So it was taking a product to then be able to launch it to the customer, what to do pre and post launch in terms of pretty much your first year of business was Mm. what was covered in all three workshops and the production one was most popular because people wanted to learn how clothing was made but also we did a whole section on costings because a lot of people struggle with how much do I charge for my product Mm. and like what's the retail price and then am I actually making a profit how do I know if I'm making a profit Mm. and a lot of people just really struggle putting a value on the what the products that they've created it's almost like they're not confident or they're a bit insecure oh I don't want to be too expensive oh you know what if I'm this what if I'm that because you're going to get criticism regardless of what you do there's always going to be people that tell you you're too expensive you're too cheap you're this you're that there will always be feedback that's not great regardless of what you do so you just have to take it on board and really think about is it valid feedback or is it not valid feedback? Is it just someone expressing an opinion or is it something that you really need to take into consideration? So, Yeah, costings is definitely a big thing because a lot of brands, they look at their retail prices, right, and then they sort of try and work backwards 
and to figure out their wholesale yeah. price and then their and then the actual manufacturing price, right? And a lot, and I've seen this happen so many, many times where they get so focused on their margins and all the percentages, the numbers and all that. And then when they get to the final part of the manufacturing cost and I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's going to cost so much more. What you're wanting and what you're asking is going to cost so much more that you're just looking at this number for what it is, just the number. Yeah. Like it's not, you know. you're going to make the numbers work. Yeah. I still see this even with experienced designers and they draw a little bit more here and they draw a little bit uh, extra here, yeah. or, you know, and then before you know it, it's like double the the cost of where they need it to be. And they need to know too, it's not the manufacturer's responsibility to tell you that, you know, this Correct. is going to be expensive like all the time or, or whatever. Like from on the manufacturing side, we're just constantly making, making, making. Like we're not looking at your... Yeah. For us, like we try and save costs wherever possible, of course. But when it comes to your actual designs, like, like it's not up to me. I can help you. Based on what it is, yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to make it, and and this is how much it's going to end up costing. And then it's like when the sample's done and the cost is out. And by the way, like we don't put, I don't every cost that I make, I don't put the exact same percentage margin across everything because some things that are a bit more price sensitive like a a t-shirt or you know a hoodie or crew neck you know like it it, you can't cost it too high so we actually make smaller margins on those type of products and then of course sometimes when we're making silk clothing the price of silk is expensive so again on those I'm trying to make it more workable for the brands that I'm working with by trying to keep the cost, keeping my margin a bit lower, as low as I can afford to. Yeah. And then there are things where there are certain products address, for example, which tend to have a higher retail price and brands can afford to pay a bit more higher in the manufacturing cost too. And so then it's a bit yeah. of game of giving and taking and there's still times where certain designers, they end up asking us to make something, we make it and the cost ends up being more than they were expecting for that type of product or shirt or something. And then it's like, oh, I, I didn't realize it was going to cost this much and blah, 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 and, and all that. And I said, well, it's cost as much because of this, this, and that reason. And so yeah. if you You've need got it, all the bells and whistles on it, so it's going to be yeah, expensive. <laughs> you, and you kind of should know, like these yeah. are brands I've been doing what they're doing for years. And, but I try and break it down for them. If you need to reduce costs, we can do this, this, and that. And sometimes that could end up completely changing the whole design and it's yeah. a completely different vibe. And I've they end up being, you know, getting disappointed that it's not being what they had initially visionized. Yeah. I worked with a brand where the, I think it was just one of the like design assistants or something who after this conversation, I knew they weren't formally trained because when we made the sample and, you know, sometimes we get the sample out quicker than we can sit down and do all the costings, right? And so 
Yeah. You know, I wish at times that I'm giving you the sample and the cost is right there, but we, it's so yeah. much it's just moving on. And there was one time where the samples were sent and they were asking for the costings. And I said, I'll, I'll get to it in the next day or so, because I got to work it, it all out with my factory, my team on your fabric yields and everything. And then that assistant said, oh, but don't you just base it on like however much fabric you bought for the sample? and oh my gosh <laughs> yeah like something along those lines like like isn't what you bought for like however many meters you bought for for the samples like in something like that and I was like no because that will end up costing you even more than like yeah your fabric yield is based on your the actual fabric usage of that style itself yeah you know I'm working out the production cost for you right now so I'm not surprised that you could be spending many hours just on this topic itself, teaching people about this. Yeah. It goes back because to... Because it doesn't matter whether you manufacture yourself locally or work with an offshore supply in any country, like you still need to understand what goes into the cost of a garment. Yeah. And sometimes it's a good experience for them to cost it out as if they were making it themselves and then working with an offshore factory and compare the difference because it might actually change their perspective on, you know, how much things cost. I don't get this as often now, but occasionally there somebody asking, they want to start their own brand, no experience at all. And then when they realize how much something was going to cost, even if it's just an estimate, they're like, oh, yeah. but it's made in China. Like, shouldn't it be like cheaper than this? And and it's like, well, yes, it's it's going to be cheaper for you to get it made in China than it is in Australia or in, in the US or, or your, where you are based. Yeah. But you still have to look at how much you're ordering. And yep. it's China production is only cheap if it is made in large quantities. Yeah. If you're yeah. making a container load of something, you'll get a really good price. <laughs> and if you're making 50, 50 to 100 units of something, it's going to cost you substantially more than what you would pay for that container price per garment. So, yeah. And then like, there are. It's always volume. Mm, I wish also a lot of brands, whether they're startups or established brands, to get into more of a practice of giving target prices to their manufacturing partners. Because a lot of times they don't because whether they don't want to, you know, overprice themselves and they have a fear of missing out, you know, yeah. but it helps so much. Like if you have a reliable and a good working relationship, like I think it's essential because then you have a target that you're both working towards. There's so many, even when it comes to like a basic t-shirt, there's so much variety in the t-shirting fabrics at different weights, at different costs. If you have a target price, then at least it narrows down what we're sourcing. And it doesn't, yeah. and having a lower, you know, target price doesn't mean that you're going to have a lower quality product. That's a, a common yeah. misconception. Because your make price isn't going to change, but your fabric price can be quite a bit of difference depending yes. on which option you go with. Yeah, your fabrics, so. your trims, if we do have the target prices, then it's just going to benefit both sides because we know yeah because yeah. if, we, if we can meet it then that's a win for you it's yeah. essentially a win for you and if our side we can you know think it's a bit tight but we can still afford to make you know some profit in this 
And then because there are going to be other styles, we know that we can make a little bit more. So again, it's the working relationship, it's the give and take. So then, and then also, of course, going back to over-designing, we can definitely save a lot of people's time. Yeah, save so much time. (laughs) Like there was a time where we were doing some like sequin and beading stuff, which is like have a lot of handwork, labor-intensive stuff and we do the the sample everything and then of course it ends up being costing too much for the yeah. the client so we have to go back and <laughs> and sort of remove a few beads here and and just simplify the design a bit more and stuff like that but had we known yeah. your target price we could have not gone so hard and just followed your your spec and followed your your design like to the the final bead yeah or simplified it before it got to that point yeah so. There are products that like beading, to be fair, and even embroidery, because it's based on the final thread count. Yeah, the number of stitches. Yeah. yeah. And so there are times where it's hard to to sort of estimate the costs. So you kind of do have to make the sample. But then in those cases too, you can just do a strike off instead of doing the whole sample. Yeah. Yeah. Costing is a major part of it. It's all the boring stuff. The text, we talked about learning speaking to an accountant about <laughs> about how to how to um cost to to save money you know to even start a label and then there's the costings like yeah. all the, the boring stuff but it's it's so important it really is 